This is a show about content marketing for established course creators. Unlike other shows about marketing, we focus on sustainable, measurable content creation. How to authentically automate your marketing to build up your know, like, and trust factor with a nurtured, engaged audience. And get back to actually living your life instead of working to live. Hey there, friends. We are back with another edition of our Shiny Happy Tactics series here on the podcast. And this one's going to be about how content, long-standing, and yes, long-format content, really gives our audience a way to connect with us and build that trust, build the know, like, and trust factor, of course, yes, but ultimately build real trust that allows them to engage with your buying journey. And today I'm going to be talking with Jeremy Enns. He's the creator of Podcast Marketing Academy, where he teaches brands and creators to hit their next growth milestones with detailed step-by-step marketing playbooks. He also writes the Scrappy Podcasting Newsletter, where he shares short, actionable ideas around how underdog shows can punch above their weight. I found Jeremy through a Scrappy Podcasting Newsletter, and as you'll hear in the interview in a little bit, not sure how I ended up on the newsletter, but one of his emails resonated so well with me that I actually emailed him and said, I'd really love to continue this conversation. Would you be so kind as to come onto the No Like and Trust show so we could do that? And there's a quote from that email that I'm going to share with you right now. Better than any other medium, podcasts allow us a real and authentic window into the minds, hearts, and souls of our favorite hosts. I loved that so, so much because friends, that is what good nurturing content does for your business. Jeremy and I are going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how the breadth and body of work that you can build when you have these long format content offerings, whether it's a podcast, a blog, a video channel, whatever it happens to be, is leagues above all the shiny happy tactics out there that some of the people are teaching. We're going to cover exactly what you would expect on this topic. Yes, a little bit about podcasting and how you can build trust over time. But we're also going to talk about how marketing your course or your service business will be different when you commit to a long-standing content strategy. And we're going to talk about how when you talk about something for an extended period of time, you really come into your own. You move beyond the regurgitating consumed content phase and into the real true thought leadership stage. It helps with everything from understanding how you can consistently show up to moving through imposter syndrome and beyond. Jeremy kind of closes it with some really powerful gold. I'm not going to tease that here, but let's dive into the conversation now. All right. Well, Jeremy, welcome to the No Like and Trust Show. Thanks so much for having me, Brittany. I'm excited to be here. I'm really interested in where where this conversation goes and for our listeners at home, I ended up on Jeremy's newsletter a couple months back, and he sent out what I thought was a really provocative email um, in the in the sense that it got me thinking. And obviously, I love anything that makes me think deeply, but this was one of those emails that I thought about, and then a day later, I was still thinking about it. And then I reached out to Jeremy, and I was like, could we talk about this? I, I think that'd be really fun. And you know, it's not that many emails I get that actually hang out with me for a full day in my thoughts after I read them. So thank you. That is the, uh, that's like the holy grail of uh, feedback for a newsletter writer, I think. I, I think you just like, I mean, so many people, there's such a divide. I think now newsletters are coming back and they're kind of sexy again, but there's still like a ton of people who are just like, 
feels like, why would I want something in my inbox? Like, wh why would anybody want that? And so like, I'm a huge newsletter nerd. And I, I probably subscribe to like 100 newsletters. And I certainly don't read all of them every week. But like, I love newsletters. And I think there's still kind of you're always wondering, like, are people actually reading this? Or, and if they are, are, they actually like thinking about it. And so yeah, I, I super love that and appreciate that feedback. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're on 100 newsletters. I can't imagine keeping up with that. I feel like every time I end up with more than like 20 or so, I just start unsubscribing. It's nothing against the the people sending it. I just can't engage with that much, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, me, me neither. I kind of treat it as my like alternate social feed where it's like when I feel the impulse to read something, I'm like, oh, I just I have set up an email address just for newsletters. And it's only it's not like marketing newsletters. It's like things that are like, you know, like you would set up a podcast feed where it's like stuff that I actually want. And I can kind of just like scroll through whenever I'm like looking for something to read, have 10 minutes and kind of see whatever catches my eye. Um, so I guess yeah, pay attention to subject lines if you're a newsletter writer, because I think that's how a lot of people who are oversubscribed uh, end up picking what they're reading. I probably should have set up a separate email address for newsletters and never did. And you know, changing them all over at this point would probably be somewhat difficult. So I think I'm just in this boat. But I feel like there are certain newsletters I do read religiously as they come out. And for those, if I receive them in a time when I can't actually sit down and read, I leave them unread. And I'll go back and actually mark them as unread if I accidentally open them. It's like my way of handling things. And then when I'm, you know, sitting in a waiting room for one of my kids' appointments or I'm, you know, waiting for something to happen timing cooking wise or whatever, I, you know, pop in there and engage with them. But you're right. For someone to be paying so much attention, right, to a particular email newsletter is is really kind of the holy grail. I mean, you said it really well. I feel like when that happens, it's something I always want to pay attention to. And the really good ones in my book, at least, they end up in the ideas folder. I have like a email inbox folder. And I'm like, okay, what made this particular article, newsletter, whatever you want to call it, so interesting to me. And then I sit there picking it apart. And of course, I want to try and do that with my own content, right? So I'm looking at it and like, how can we break this down into a framework? Is there a formula that they're following? And, you know, most of them, when I go back, there's not a formula. It's just a really good idea. It's a really good thought. And I think the thought that you shared in this particular one, which was that podcasting over time builds up that relational aspect that you cannot get from a social media post. You cannot get from a single blog article that someone happened to link to. It gives you that that intimacy. And that right there is an area where you can build trust that you just can't replicate in another way. Yeah. It's interesting. Podcasting has changed so much over the past. I don't know. I got into podcasting, what are we in 2023 now? So must be seven years ago at, at this point now, or, or eight years ago, almost um, kind of 2015 ish, um, 2015, 2016. And back then, like when I first started working with clients, um, so I started out as a freelance podcast editor uh, and then built up a production agency. And now I've kind of transitioned into the marketing side of things. Like it was, if you had a pretty solid show, like you would just grow, you didn't really need to market it. And I think like back then, one of the big draws, like everybody, there was a gold rush on like podcasting as a way to grow your audience and to get new exposure. And people, a lot of people still subscribe to that kind of mindset of when they start a new show, they're like, this is going to grow my audience. And it just is not like that at all anymore. And so I don't know if it was in that newsletter that you read, or there's certainly another one that I, I've written before, which is kind of like, the point of, of starting a podcast, it's it's not to grow your audience, it's to nurture the audience that you already have. And like, you need to reset your expectations around that. And if you do, like, then you can view this as this fantastic tool that like nothing else really does that that well, but you can't expect it to also like 
be getting you exposure to hundreds of thousands of new people or, or you know, however many you're aiming for. Maybe it's just like, you know, a thousand people. And I think that that is the source of I, I heard this quote years ago on one of my early clients. Uh, the source of all unhappiness is misaligned expectations. And I think about that all the time with podcasting, where there are just usually this huge like delta between expectation and reality. And I think for me, with like all creative work, it sometimes I think about like, if I knew how hard this was going to be when I started out, like would I have done this, would I have wanted to know? And part of me thinks like, yeah, I would have done it anyway, just because I'm a creative person. It's kind of an impulse. Like I can't help myself. I'm going to do stuff like this. But also I'm kind of like, man, it is, it is, it is a lot of work to get into this, but I think it helps to like have that your eyes open of like, okay, this is the role this plays in your business and your content ecosystem. Don't like try to, you know, put a square peg into a round hole and like force it to do this other thing that it's just not going to do. And like, you know, when you know that, then you can go look somewhere else and like, okay, well, I need to get exposure. I'm not going to like rely on my podcast to do that. I'm going to go find that somewhere else and then like funnel it back to the show. Yeah, no, I, that, that's a powerful quote. I, I really enjoyed it because the, interesting thing is I, I went back through my like media kit uh, about a month ago and I had you know links to a bunch of podcasts that are no longer publishing and some of them only went you know as long as you know 25 episodes or so and I don't remember what the actual stats are when people start to pat pod fade I think it's actually before 20 episodes but I, I looked at how many of them and you know of course I'm just like editing like delete 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 right if you get into this expecting it to do that thing and it doesn't do that thing it feels like a, a waste of time or it feels like a failed endeavor. And for me, at least, when I started my podcast, which was probably right around the same time as you, I think I started in 2016. And I took a, a long break in, in the middle there. But when I came back, I've, I've been back for a while. And I did start my podcast to become marketable, to gain an audience. And I did do that at first, you know, those first like two years or so. It was really good at bringing leads. And when I came back to it two years later, after taking that break, I did not experience the same thing. But I I feel like I, I came back to it with a completely different business mindset as a whole. And part of it was, hey, this is how I can show people I'm in it for the long haul. Uh, building authority, building trust, all of those things, right? And it's become the content arm of my business but I think some of those podcasts I've been a guest on that are you know no longer publishing, they were maybe expecting it to do, quote unquote, the marketing for their business. And it didn't. Yeah, I kind of feel like you need to market your podcast. Like it, it's almost the same amount of work marketing your podcast as marketing your business. Like it and hopefully there's overlap between the two. So you're kind of, you know, and there is. So like, if you market your podcast, then you're getting people in there. And then they're also like coming into your business really warmed up already. So it's kind of like, on the one hand, you could kind of say like, and I guess this is actually how I think about my content. I almost all of my marketing is focused on my newsletters and then like products and stuff like that, just that's built into the newsletters. And so I don't need to worry about like marketing my course or marketing my consulting services because like, really, I just market the newsletters. That's where I put all my time and attention. And then those do the work to warm people up and, you know, give people awareness up to what my offerings are. And so I think like, yeah, sometimes when you realize you get into a podcast and you're like, I, I, I started this to be marketing for my business, but now I need to market this. It's kind of like, well, yeah, you're just like almost passing it further up the the chain almost where it's like, yeah, you still need to do the same amount of work regardless. It's just choosing where you're directing that. And I think the great thing about a podcast is, I mean, podcast and email, I would say, is like those are owned platforms. Like nobody's taking those away from you. There's no algorithmic changes happening at this point. And, you know, once people are in, like they are just going to keep getting that if they love the content, of course. And so then it's like, then it's you have so many more touch points, whereas like 
I think about sometimes of people who focus on, especially like ad driven type businesses where it's like, okay, you're trying, you're getting that attention once directing it back to a website. Probably you are trying to get that lead right then, but if you don't, and I mean, I guess you could say this for a podcast as well, if they don't click play, I, I just feel like a podcast feels like a more generous offering that people are not as skeptical of as a ad driven lead magnet or sales page or something like that. And like, the funny thing is, uh, you know, for, for me, I'm a writer, so I have two newsletters and no podcast currently, but have had in the past and will have more. I've experimented with running ads to my newsletter directly or to a free course that like I've charged, you know, a hundred dollars for this course before. And like, I think it's actually worth a lot more than that. And the newsletter performs better, like in, in ads, which is so weird to me that like, I think people just they expect like, oh, this is a newsletter. I know what I'm signing up for. The reason I'm giving over my email address is because I want the content. And I think podcasts are the same thing where like people are signing up because they actually want it. They're not like, it's not this um, bait and switch or anything like that. And so I think like, if you're going to put your energy somewhere, I would rather get people into content. And it's just then adjusting your expectations of like, okay, I'm not going to make a sale today. I'm going to like in six months or like a year or three years or something like th that's when the sale is going to come from like any one person. And probably it's going to be distributed across all of that. But if I can just keep creating content, like eventually there's going to be people who entered my ecosystem, you know, a year or two years ago. And just by virtue of me doing what I've been doing for forever, how long it's been, then like those sales are going to start coming in. And it's all, almost like you can't pinpoint what actually happened, like what led to it. It's just like, they've got to know you over, you know, multiple years, multiple months, whatever it is. And at some point, you know, you made a, a, the offer at the right time that resonated with them. And like, that was the time for them to take you up on it. You know, just this morning I got a Google survey and, and, it's a feedback form I have in as part of my Evergreen course. And, and the woman who filled it out more or less said, I've been listening to your podcast for a while and I just knew now was the time for me to do this. My only regret is not doing it sooner. And I feel like, you know, that's one of the best things as a person who markets courses and or programs, services, whatever, right? Like that right there tells you that the marketing that you're doing is doing the job. Now, I did not have time to go back and check exactly when this person came onto my email list. I'm pretty sure it's last spring, but last spring till, you know, now February as we're recording this, right? That's a good 10 or maybe nine month spread. And I'm okay with that. I'm a hundred percent okay with that because I know when someone buys something from me after waiting nine months to do so, it's not a flip decision. And they're actually going to engage with the content in that course rather than buy it and shelve it. And I'd rather that any day. I'd rather know that they're really, truly going to get results from the thing that they purchased. And when you put out that kind of marketing, whether it's a newsletter, whether it's podcast, right? We have the opportunity to you know, engage with those people with the information that we've already put out there. That's our thought leadership. It's, it's everything we believe in. But on their end, it's a pretty low lift pressing play on a podcast button. You know what I mean? Like you're driving to an appointment, you're out on a walk, getting some exercise, whatever it is, right? Three minutes and you don't like it. You can stop. Like you don't have to, you don't have to disengage in a hard no kind of fashion. You just leave it behind. I like that that's there for me as a, as a consumer. I really enjoy being able to do that. Sometimes the podcast is recommended to me and I don't I just don't vibe with it, you know, like their format of speaking, the way they they range things. I don't know, but it doesn't feel like I'm rejecting them when I just stop listening. It feels like, OK, this wasn't for me and I can move on. Yeah, it's interesting that you you mentioned that, too. Like I have noticed the exact same thing with my course. And so typically I'll do launches twice a year, usually spring and fall. 
and I'll do like a multi-day free event leading up to it. So it'll be a workshop. It'll be three or four days, something like that. And the first time I did that, I think that was in the third, the first two launches were kind of betas that were to my existing community. Then I started going more public from launch through launches three, four, five, six, and coming up with seven. And now that I have enough data, having done these workshops, I guess, uh, four times at this point, what's been really interesting is just seeing like, I always like, look, okay, when did this person enter my email ecosystem? And usually it's either one or two launches ago. Like that's what I'll get a big influx of people. These will be uh, promoted pretty widely. And they're like, free workshop, like multiple, multiple days. It's like, again, like these courses probably like a lot of people would pay for. And always I, the first time I did it, I expected like, oh, like, you know, this is going to be the thing that's going to convert people into my course. And like, it, it just didn't work like that way. And like, I think I maybe got something like 300 people signed up to the workshop and maybe of those, I don't know, four signed up for my course or something like that. And the rest, like another like 15 who signed up for the course that time, I think had already been on my newsletter for, you know, multiple years at this point. And I was like, huh, that workshop really didn't work that well. And then I was thinking like, maybe I shouldn't do that again next time. Like it's so much work. I think it took like a hundred hours to put together and everything. I was like, that was a lot of work for not that much payoff. And uh, it didn't really, you know, perform as well as I, some other people who'd done like challenge style kind of live events had said that theirs had converted. But I kept doing it. And like now what I've realized with that data is like every time now I can see back and I'm like, oh, it is worth doing it. It's just a longer kind of time for it to, you know, pay off. But in between that, that's where like the podcast or the newsletter sits where it's like it keeps you top of mind it reminds people that like oh i went through this course i had a good experience and he's like wow I, i've you know but before the next launch I've, I've read another like 25 newsletters or something like that and i'm just getting all this good content and then there's another free live event and it's like wow that's a lot of like great stuff and now this course is opening up again and so i think like yeah just understanding i think one of the things i wish i knew early on is that like this type of customer life cycle is normal and everything else is like an outlier when you hear people about like, oh yeah, you can like, you know, get people into your course and your funnel. You just turn on the ads and like, you know, within a day you've like got all these people. And it's like, well, yeah, probably people who did that, they're selling a specific type of product with a specific type of marketing that I'm not really a big fan of. And they also have like honed all these skills, like learning Facebook ads and all that copywriting like that. You don't learn that overnight. And so I think for me, like just understanding like, oh, this is normal. And like, this feels good to me and I can sustain this. And like, now that I'm up and running, like now there's just going to be a steady flow of people through that ecosystem, each at a different kind of point. And it's kind of just like, okay, I know this works. I'm just going to keep doing it. And I can trust that like kind of the results are going to kind of continue to build as long as I keep doing these things that I know are already working. It's interesting because I think a lot of people do the exact same thing that you did, right? You, you held the workshop and you're like, oh, it didn't really work. And that was a lot of work on my end to, to get it going. Right. But I think I don't know, like the latest stats I've seen are at any given time, only 3% of your audience is ready to buy. And the other 97% falls into, you know, a number of segments, you know, there's going to be people who are never going to buy more power to them, right? Like they'll figure it out on their own or they won't. Um, there's going to be the people who really do want to buy right now, but for whatever reason they can't, whether it's actually financial, which is a real reason, uh, or whether it's, they're just busy with other things, you know, maybe they've got something going on in their life and they just don't want to devote time to a live cohort based course when they know they're not going to get everything out of it. And then there's the people who are just unsure of you. And like that segment alone, if you kind of give up on the nurturing in between, if they didn't have the opportunity to see your newsletter for those 25 editions in between, if you weren't putting out regular content via a podcast or newsletter, right? Those people are going to feel let down by you. And the next time you do launch, they are not going to trust you. They're they're not going to be ready. They're going to be like, oh, he shows up when he's about to launch and that's it. 
So, you know, for two of those segments, the the not quite ready to trust you yet, and for the ones who did want to buy, but they just couldn't for whatever reason, you're doing your business a disservice by forgetting all the work that you put in to get those people to that place at that point. And you'd essentially be starting over with two out of the three segments out there, which is disheartening if you actually look at it that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's another thing that I think I haven't written about this yet, but it's bumbled around the back of my mind of like something that feels that is unaddressed in marketing and like kind of creator online business world is this idea of just like, I I mean, consistency gets talked about a lot, but I don't think like people just think like, oh, I got to produce an episode every week, or I got to send a newsletter every week. Like that's what that means. Or I got to post on Instagram three times a week or whatever the cadence that's like, okay, part of that matters. Like the frequency of of interaction and touch point that, yeah, I, I think that matters. But I think like, equally is the consistency of experience that you deliver through those. Like if you have like once a month, you have a great post and then the rest of your posts on social media are just kind of like garbage. It's like, well, the average has been lowered. People's perception of you is like, oh yeah, occasionally they have some good ideas, but like most of it is just clickbait or it's like, you know, copied from somewhere else. Like the average is pretty low. And so I think like that part of consistency matters a lot more than than frequency or, or matters just as much maybe as frequency. But then this other idea of like, consistency over like the really long term. And like, I noticed that now where I think in people's, it's interesting when I talk to people about, you know, be becoming like uh, doing a partnership on something like that, maybe related to a course launch or something like that. Now, when I do outreach and I say, Hey, I'm in like cohort seven, like people's perception is different, especially like established people who, of course, like, at the start, like when I launched my first cohort, there were people who I was I knew kind of decently well. And I was asking if they would be interested in being an affiliate or helping out promote. And they like politely passed. And I was like, oh, but this is like the best course on podcast. It was really like the only one at the time on podcast marketing. And I like, this is so needed. And I know your audience would, would really, you know, value this. And in hindsight, I'm like, oh yeah, that makes perfect sense that they would not trust that. I haven't proven, even though I've been in podcasting five years. I haven't proven like as a content creator, like being more like, you know, writing regularly, producing the course regularly. I haven't proven that I'm like in this for the long haul. And, you know, it reflects on everyone who, you know, recommends anything to their audience. Like you recommend a course to somebody who then like they do it once and then maybe there's a community component with it. Maybe the videos are hosted online, but then they like can't get anybody in for the second cohort or whatever. And so they like pull them down to avoid paying $50 a month for this. Like there's a risk, I think, early on that uh, of anyone who's like buying into the course or promoting promoting a course or, or a product or anything like that. And I think like the doors start to open for you. I think when you've proven that, like you've written like, you know, 200, 300, 500 blog posts, you put out 500 podcast episodes, you're like you know, multiple hundreds or whatever it is. People see that and they're like, oh, this person is serious. And because I think people are savvy enough to know how hard it is to create all these things, even if they haven't done it themselves. And I think that that's just a huge part of like, things get a lot easier when you have a proven track record like that. Not even of like, you've made a million dollars or whatever. It's like, you've put in the work in in creating the content. And it's almost like, how could you create that much content and not like know what you're talking about when it comes to your topic? And so I think like, that's another thing that's like, yeah, that doesn't happen over 30 episodes or 50 episodes. That's like, you know, you get past a hundred episodes, a hundred blog posts, newsletter issues, whatever it is. And then all of a sudden you're like, okay, like this person is is serious and I can trust them with almost, uh, with even like, listening to any of the content yet. Yeah, it is a different type of trust, but it's like, okay, this person is committed. You touched on something that I, first of all, I love. I've had so many conversations with various different people on that particular topic, because if you've put out a hundred of anything, like you said, you can cover the basics of your belief system, your value system in 20 episodes. 
but it's where they start intersecting, right? It's like all that nuance starts kind of popping up and you're like, yeah, no, no, I, I believe this, but here's where that breaks down and you have to look at this other thing. And you can't cover that in the initial phases of anything because it's, it's too like, gosh, it just, it goes down like the little vein, like, you know, rabbit hole, right? The veins keep separating and keep separating and you, you can't get to those outlying veins that really boost up who you are and what you stand for until you've covered the big ones. And it just takes time. And I think I've covered this in episodes on I've done on imposter syndrome in the in the past, right? The easiest way in my book to, to get over or through imposter syndrome is just to keep talking because you can't not know what you're talking about if you keep going. It'll become very apparent that you're just making stuff up, you're regurgitating other people's information, whatever it is, right? If you keep going, it has to come from you at some point. And at that point, you've moved beyond the, am I good enough or do I know enough or am I worthy to tell people about this? That's how you get there. And yeah, it takes some consistency to get there. Consistency and quality and messaging, obviously frequency as well. But when you get there, Nobody who's done any of this work, like you said, can look at that and say, "Mm, I mean, there are maybe you got to be on board or not. Yeah, I like that. And, you know, I I think the other thing that's worth noting there is like there is there will be an inflection point like the you will probably go through those 20 episodes or, or whatever kind of content you're creating. And like. I think there's no way to avoid like I think we all think we're we're somewhat original at the start, but like really the first 20, 50, 100 iterations of anything are largely if you're just starting out that's largely borrowed from other people and that's fine like there's no way really around that and it's like you got to skim off that like top layer just to get past it and then there's going to be a point where I think a lot of people uh, maybe not everybody but I think most people are going to be like well I don't know what to talk about I already covered all the stuff and I think like that's the point where like some people quit and like I've certainly done that before where the first time I started writing about podcasting in 2017 before I took like a several year break I like covered all the topics that I thought I was supposed to cover and I covered them in my voice and we you know with my kind of insights on them but they were all the things that like you know new people ask about and so I was like okay I checked off all the things you know I didn't do SEO research but if I had like those would be the things that would come up the most common questions about podcasting I could look on Quora or Reddit or whatever these things would come up I probably wrote 30 or 50 articles and then I was like oh I guess I got nothing more to say and then like two or three years went by and I spent more time like working in the industry and started noticing more things that were much more nuanced that like annoyed me or that like I thought people were missing and it was like this deeper layer where now like it wasn't quite as searchable necessarily but it was it was things that like when people read them, they were like, oh, I've never heard anybody talk about this kind of stuff before or in this context. And I think that's where you start to get into like you you have to exhaust all that initial kind of like samey type stuff. And because, of course, we're all influenced by all the stuff we're already you know consuming. We hear other people on podcasts. We're like, oh, they've got a podcast for a similar business to mine. Like maybe I should do that. And you start looking at like, well, OK, what kind of episodes do they have? And this person over here and you like start to piece together like, oh, this must be what people want. So I'm going to like create those episodes. But then you'll reach a point where you like really feel like the well is dry and it's like all the good stuff's on the other side of that when you like dig deeper or keep digging below that and like then you really find the stuff that nobody else is creating because it's so kind of personally filtered through your lens and like that's I think where a lot of the like long-term loyalty of an audience comes from because now they're not just coming to you for information they're like coming to you because of of you and your unique kind of perspective on the world. Oh I love that you just nailed that on the other side of your dry well, right? I have nothing to to add because that was really good. All right. I like that. That was lovely. Jeremy, this has been an awesome conversation. (laughs) I appreciate it. 
I don't want to go too, too long. Do you have any closing thoughts? I mean, I think things for me with with marketing and business just opened up. The, it's almost like the longer the time horizon I think about things, the less pressure I feel. And I think, I don't know how much of your audience identifies as creative people. I certainly do. And like, that's the what's led into business. It was like creativity first found its way into business. Now I love like the creativity of business and marketing. But when I think about like, what I'm doing, I'm like, okay, well, I might not be doing this business or writing these newsletters forever, but I'm going to be doing something in 50 years that's creative. And so like, I don't need to figure it out right now. Like this can, you know, I'm, I'm kind of looking at like, you know, if I'm laying the groundwork now, like, where am I going to be to set myself up for success in 20 years? And like, you look that far ahead and you're like, oh, I can like make a lot of mistakes and mess up and waste a whole lot of time right now. And it doesn't really matter. And I think like that really lowers the pressure that we kind of all feel like we need to have it figured out now. Whereas like when you're really playing the long game, it's like, okay, I'll get there eventually. And like, I don't need to, I think even thinking about like, scammy or shady or marketing tactics or anything like that, that are so like urgency focused. It's like, no, I want to do this right. Because I hope that I have people who are like following my creative projects along in some way or another for the next 50 years. Like how, how cool would that be? Like, I, I can't even imagine what that must be like, but that feels like such a special relationship. And so I want to make sure that I'm like optimizing for that, not for like the, in the moment. And I think that that it helps you like market in a way that for most of us is, I think more aligned with ourselves. It helps us like just feel better on a day-to-day -day basis when we feel like we're not, you know, moving fast enough. And I think the other thing that I think about a lot is like when you think about that time span, it kind of feels like we all start out in this cluster of people all like working towards the same narrow kind of like goal. But over time, we all kind of like spread out in different directions. And so like you just keep going and you'll end up in the space that's like only you occupy and there's like zero competition. I, I feel like it's so hard to like think over 20 years that you would still all the people you started with are going to be creating similar content. And so I think you really develop this kind of like personal monopoly if you just keep going and like following your own intuition and like you know, just, just keep going ahead. And I think that's where a lot of the, the good stuff is. Yeah. I think that's a great way to close this up. So obviously you run a cohort based course. Where else? I know you said two newsletters. Where else can people find out more about you if, if they're also loving this conversation? Yeah. I put together a page where people can go to find all my stuff. And so you can find that at podcastmarketingacademy.com slash no like trust all one word. And so there I've got both newsletters. I'm mainly active on Twitter and LinkedIn. You can find those links there. And uh, I've got some free courses, all kinds of good stuff there. Jeremy, I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Brittany. All right, Jeremy, again, from the bottom of my heart, I thank you. This conversation was so good. I really enjoy these conversations where we just talk back and forth about something that we've both been noodling on, something that's been bouncing around in the back of our heads and just gives an opportunity to get those words out with someone who feels the same way, yes, but can provide additional insight. And what Jeremy shared there at the end, all about being in this for the long haul and just really knowing that even if you aren't doing this exact service or this exact course in five years, 10 years, 20 years and beyond, you will be doing some sort of work that flows from this because it's built from you. It's built from who you are and what you stand for. And the medium may change, absolutely. For most of us, it's going to change at some point. But how you put it all together really becomes who you are. And that's a pretty dang cool legacy. So with that, we'll see you next week. If you found value from this episode, there are two things you can do to thank me. The first is share it with a friend. If you enjoyed this episode, you learned something from it, odds are you know somebody who needs to hear this message. I do truly believe that a rising tide lifts all boats. And if you help that friend with something that they need to do, 
we're gonna have less crappy marketers out there, which means less scams, and we get to help more people in those ways that we uniquely are meant to help them. The second thing you can do is leave a rating on whichever podcast app you are listening to the show on right now. Doing that helps me reach more people, getting, again, this same great information out there, and we all make a better, happier, effective, and ethical world as a result. Thanks so much. See you next week.